everyone. I'm Kelly Clark. Now, you would have to have had your head plugged deep into the ground if over the past 10 years you have not read or been told of the importance of vitamin D. But just like hearing how important it is to eat well, exercise, get quality sleep, and so on, we don't always take the steps to do what's best for our body. My intention with this podcast episode is to convince you by explaining the science of just how vitamin D works within our body, as well as how simply taking a quality vitamin D supplement on a daily basis can strengthen your immune system, slow the aging process, improve your mood, protect against cancer, heart disease, and diabetes, help with concentration, learning, and memory, and potentially even reduce your risk of contracting or reduce the severity of COVID-19 if you were to contract it. Hang tight. I'm about to go over a lot of good stuff with you guys. I'm Kelly Clark, business owner, boy mom, dog mom, nurse practitioner, book nerd, self-improvement obsessed, and a self-proclaimed recovering candyholic. After years of practicing ER medicine as a nurse and then as a nurse practitioner, I decided that I could do a lot more good working with people to prevent the diseases that brought them into the ER in the first place. It was then that I started my business, Medical Weight Loss and Wellness, where we promote and educate on the many benefits of a ketogenic lifestyle. A decade later, we have two locations and I employ 30 passionate and amazing women who have become a second family to me. I have found weight loss medicine to be incredibly challenging and immensely rewarding. It is one of the most complex areas of medicine due to how intimately intertwined the relationship is between our metabolic physiology and our personal psychology. In Confessions of a Candyholic, I will pull the many dynamics of weight loss together through the telling of my personal stories, the inspiring journeys of our patients, the experiences of my nursing staff. I'll even drop some keto knowledge and I'll discuss matters that can help improve your life. Change is hard, but it is only through change that we can level up to become the best version of who we are. It would be my pleasure to hold your hand as we all work together to become better versions of ourselves. The preparation for this podcast episode took me quite a bit longer than I expected. I thought I knew a lot about the benefits of vitamin D, but I learned there was so much more I was not aware of. Additionally, I wanted to present you in a concise way the reasons behind the benefits. This was a challenge because I had to describe the impact of the scientific research without overwhelming you with all the scientific jargon. I really hope I have accomplished that. For the sake of ease, I'm going to refer to vitamin D3 simply as vitamin D. So without further ado, let's talk vitamin D. It's important I first mention vitamin D levels to give you a frame of reference. The fancy term for the lab used to evaluate a vitamin D level is 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Vitamin D insufficiency is often reported as under 30 nanograms per milliliter, and a deficiency is considered under 20 nanograms per milliliter. For all practical purposes, 30 and under is not good. 20 and under is even worse. The reason the Endocrine Society defines vitamin D deficiency, a level under 20, is that 20 nanograms per milliliter is the cutoff point where parathyroid hormone levels, which are involved in calcium balance within the body, start to rise outside of healthy range. Quickly, the parathyroid consists of four glands located just behind the thyroid. So in other words, the body recognizes just how low vitamin D is and sends an SOS to the parathyroid to help. 
This process is yet another stressor on the body, and there is a significant percentage of the population walking around right now with vitamin D levels under 20, and they wonder why they feel tired, run down, are gaining weight, or having difficulty losing weight, and are oftentimes experiencing systemic inflammation. I will later discuss in this episode what many functional medicine providers, as well as many scientists, consider to be the optimal range or the sweet spot when it comes to vitamin D levels. That'll come a little later. Some facts regarding just how many Americans are considered to have low vitamin D. Well, the Center of Disease Control, the CDC, has reported that approximately 70% of light-skinned Americans and 95% of African Americans have vitamin D levels at 30 or below. In the United States, there's been studies showing that African Americans are 28 times more deficient levels under 20 in vitamin D than Caucasians. In general, the darker your skin tone, the more likely you are to have low vitamin D. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. Why is the majority of the U.S. population suffering from low vitamin D levels? It is generally thought that the main reasons why vitamin D levels have decreased over the last few decades is due to more sunscreen use and spending more time indoors and in front of our screen devices. Since UVB radiation from sunlight is required to produce vitamin D in the skin, anything that blocks UVB rays such as sunscreen will also prevent your skin from making vitamin D. Another contributing factor to low vitamin D is obesity. Obese individuals are three times more likely to be vitamin D deficient levels under 20 than those with a normal BMI. And this is because vitamin D is a fat-soluble hormone. And the thought is that rather than it being available to be used throughout the body, it is being stored in the fat cells, essentially decreasing the bioavailability to other tissues by as much as 50%. Other factors that regulate the ability of our skin to make vitamin D include age. A 70-year-old makes about four times less vitamin D from the sun than a 20-year-old. The elderly also absorb less via the gut. Melanin, which has to do with the level of our skin pigmentation. This acts as a natural sunscreen. So the more melanin you have, the less UVB rays penetrate. Latitude, which has to do with the area of the U.S. that we live in. The more north, the less UVB rays reach the atmosphere. As Wisconsinites, we are far enough north that it is virtually impossible to reap any vitamin D benefits derived from UVB rays, even in the summer months. Of note is that some individuals possess variations in genes that cause them to have lower vitamin D levels. While this may make it more difficult to increase their levels with supplementation, it does not mean it's impossible. One other item I'd like to mention, and this is important regarding vitamin D levels, is that it is very difficult, if not impossible, to raise a low vitamin D level with diet alone. And this includes even those who consume a lot of milk. The science. I'm going to touch a bit on the science behind vitamin D. It's important to me that if I'm going to suggest you take a supplement, that you understand why you are taking it. Understanding the why is essential for compliance purposes. If I simply tell you that it's a great supplement and you really should be taking it every single day, does that resonate with you? Does that change your mind and your thinking? No. You have to buy into it, so to speak. And to do that, you need to understand just why it's so important. Let me start out by saying that vitamin D is sort of a misnomer because it really doesn't behave like a vitamin. Rather, it functions like a hormone. The form you typically consume in food or supplements or indirectly via the sun is vitamin D3. But your body converts this into a steroid hormone called calcitrol. 
Once vitamin D is turned into this active form, it travels through the body and plays a part in a number of diverse and vital functions. It builds bones and muscles. It has anti-inflammatory effects. It has effects on your mood and behavior. It helps to make enzymes and proteins that prevent disease. It affects how we age. Optimal vitamin D levels have been linked to stronger immune systems, while low levels are associated with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer. Vitamin D also affects insulin secretion, as well as tissue sensitivity to insulin. This is part of why a normal vitamin D level is essential to optimizing weight loss, and perhaps why a low level can make weight loss more difficult or gaining weight more easy. The full extent of vitamin D's impact has yet to be fully understood, but we do know that nearly every cell and tissue in our body has vitamin D receptors. It's everywhere and it's important. I can't stress enough the fact that vitamin D behaves like a hormone does. So let's put this in perspective. If you are deficient in thyroid hormones, testosterone in the case of men, or estrogen and progesterone in the case of women, you feel the effects. Just imagine as a man walking around with no testosterone. It can wreak havoc on your body's ability to function as well as how you feel. When we have a hormone imbalance, it's important to fix that imbalance. So why aren't providers or the general public taking vitamin D deficiency and insufficiency levels under 30 more seriously? At this point, I'm going to get a bit sciencey on you by breaking down some of the benefits I just mentioned so you can better understand just exactly the role vitamin D plays in each. Let's start with aging and vitamin D. Vitamin D does seem to affect the way we age. In studies, mice that have been genetically engineered to not be able to respond to vitamin D show dramatic signs of aging in all organs on a cellular level. You do not want to be like these mice. There are multiple mechanisms by which vitamin D regulates the aging process, including something called telomeres. Telomeres are pretty fascinating, and I'm going to touch on these because they have much to do with the rate at which we age. Every cell in our body contains DNA, which is present in our chromosomes, and the integrity of our DNA is crucial for our cells to function properly and do their job. Telomeres, which are caps at the end of chromosomes, help maintain their vitality and strength. So think of a telomere as sort of a protective cap, kind of like the little plastic protector at the end of a shoelace. For the shoelace, the cap protects the lace from fraying and eventually becoming essentially worthless. Telomeres basically protect our DNA from damage and deterioration. Now, the length of our telomeres has been shown to correlate pretty well with our biological age. In this capacity, they serve as a marker for aging. If you have short telomeres, you're biologically old. If you have long telomeres, you're biologically younger. As in all things, there's more nuance to it than that. But for our purposes, it's useful to realize that we can be chronologically older, but have a biological age that is in line with those younger than us. In fact, a 2019 study showed vitamin D supplementation for 16 weeks caused a two-year reduction in epigenetic aging in African Americans. Imagine 16 weeks of taking vitamin D and your telomeres reflect that you are now two years younger biologically. Wow. A couple of studies have shown that vitamin D can slow telomere shortening that naturally happens with age. In one study involving 2,100 female twins, those with the lowest vitamin D levels had shorter telomeres that corresponded to five years of aging. Women that had serum levels between 40 and 60 nanograms per milliliter 
recall that anything under 30 is considered insufficient, also had the longest telomeres compared to age-matched controls with lower vitamin D levels. Telomere shortening is accelerated by inflammation and DNA damage, as well as cell division. Every time a cell divides to give rise to daughter cells, the telomeres get shorter. We know that vitamin D activates DNA repair genes and anti-inflammatory genes to reduce damage at the telomere. Once the telomeres run out, the cells either die or worse, they stick around in a kind of stale state, failing to perform their normal function and instead become a source of damage to nearby cells causing inflammation. And I think we all know by now just how damaging inflammation throughout the body can be, especially inflammation that is sustained over long periods of time. Let's move on to susceptibility to cancer in relation to vitamin D levels. More than three quarters of cancer patients have insufficient levels of vitamin D, and the lowest levels are associated with more advanced cancer. This is according to a study presented in 2011 at the 53rd Annual Meeting of the American Society for Radiation Oncology. The thought is vitamin D and its metabolites reduce the incidence of many types of cancers by essentially applying a protective mechanism at the cellular level. I won't get deep into this as it is extremely complex, but no, there is a large body of research out there supporting the correlation between low vitamin D levels and increased risk for cancer. Let's move on to the impact of vitamin D on our mood and behavior. Among the 1,000 genes that vitamin D controls is a gene in the brain called tryptophan. Tryptophan is an amino acid derived from the food we eat. Of note is that animal meats and eggs are some of the foods most high in tryptophan. Tryptophan converts into serotonin within the brain. Quickly, serotonin is often referred to as a feel-good hormone. I think many of us have heard of this. And it is responsible for many physiological processes such as modulating cognition, reward, learning, and memory. Tryptophan is activated by vitamin D, suggesting that vitamin D plays a significant role in producing serotonin. This is so important. Serotonin regulates a broad range of cognitive functions and behaviors from social behavior, impulse control, decision-making, anxiety, memory, aggression, and something called sensory gating, which is a process by which irrelevant environmental surrounding stimuli is separated from meaningful stimuli. In other words, it filters out all that extra stimuli in the environment that's going on at any given time and allows us to focus on what it is we need to focus on. Also, low vitamin D levels are frequently found in those suffering with depression and anxiety. Our discussion of tryptophan and serotonin lead us to their link between the gut, inflammation, and autoimmunity. This may surprise you, but gut health is also associated with serotonin. Around 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. As I mentioned before, tryptophan converts to serotonin. We need just the right amount of balance of serotonin within the gut. Too much or too little can be problematic. It's been shown that abnormal regulation of serotonin in the gut is associated with a diverse array of GI disorders, such as inflammatory bowel disease, which include Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, as well as functional disorders such as irritable bowel syndrome. Additionally, altered serotonin signaling is shown to be associated with celiac disease, colorectal cancer, and diverticular disease. We know that vitamin D activates tryptophan, causing it to convert to serotonin. In this case, a vitamin D deficiency may lead to excess immune cell activation and thus inflammation. On the flip side of the same coin, vitamin D may be responsible for regulating autoimmunity through the same gut serotonin pathway. Remember, autoimmunity is when your body attacks itself. It sees its own cells as an invader. Tryptophan, in addition to being converted into serotonin in the gut, 
can also be metabolized by another enzyme to generate a compound called kynurenine, which is essential for the production of regulatory T-cells. Regulatory T-cells tell the immune system, hey, this is my cell and it's not a foreign invader, so don't attack it. They play a very important role in dampening the immune response and preventing autoimmunity. Because tryptophan can be used in the pathway to make serotonin, if that gene is hyperactive because there is low vitamin D and producing a lot of serotonin in the gut, which then means less tryptophan is available to the other pathway that is required to make regulatory T-cells that keep autoimmunity at bay. Now, that's a mouthful, but what I want you to take away from this segment on gut health is that vitamin D has much to do with the regulation and balance of our gut. Imbalance over time can either cause inflammation and or autoimmunity. Next, I want to talk about the potential link between low levels of vitamin D and autism. A study by Rhonda Patrick, PhD, and Bruce Ames, PhD, of Children's Hospital Oakland Research Institute demonstrates the impact that vitamin D may have on social behavior associated with autism spectrum disorder. Dr. Patrick and Dr. Ames show that serotonin, oxytocin, and vasopressin, three brain hormones that affect social behavior, are all activated by vitamin D. Research has already established that in children with autism, there are abnormally low serotonin levels in the brain and high levels in the blood. Dr. Patrick and Dr. Ames' research also revealed that vitamin D deficiency was higher in autistic children compared to typical children. During early brain development, serotonin actually shapes the structure and wiring of the brain. Serotonin tells neurons where they should go and what type of specific neurons they should become literally acting as growth factors during brain development. Several studies have shown in mice that inhibiting the production of serotonin in early brain development causes functional and structural abnormalities in the brain, some of which manifest later as autistic-like behaviors. Since vitamin D is required to activate this gene that produces serotonin, and the developing fetus depends on the mother's vitamin D levels, if the mother is low in vitamin D, then there may not be enough for the developing brain to produce serotonin. This could lead to abnormal brain development and autism, particularly in combination with other gene polymorphisms that already increase autism risk. The other way in which the vitamin D serotonin pathway may influence autism is by keeping the autoimmune response during pregnancy at bay. What is interesting is that mothers with autistic children are three times more likely to have high levels of antibodies against fetal brain protein in their blood cells. Said another way, they are three times more likely to show signs that their immune system was active engaged against the developing fetal brain. There is really no good explanation as to why, but it suggests that the developing fetus may be recognized as foreign in these women. This may cause the immune system to actually make antibodies that attack proteins in the developing brain, which could alter the way the brain develops. So far, this has been shown in pregnant monkeys and is yet to be studied in humans. I could not conclude the discussion of the benefits regarding vitamin D without bringing up the strong correlation between low vitamin D levels and an increased mortality or death rate associated with COVID-19. This is especially important right now. And if I haven't yet convinced you just how essential vitamin D is to your health, I am willing to wager that this will do it. Let me begin by first saying that it is well established in the literature that a low vitamin D level is linked with increased susceptibility to acute respiratory infections. Robust evidence suggests that vitamin D is protective against respiratory tract infections. Data from 25 randomized control trials from around the world demonstrate that daily or weekly supplementation of vitamin D reduced the risk of acute respiratory infection by more than 50% in people with low baseline vitamin D levels. 
That is huge. Those with higher baseline vitamin D levels also benefited from vitamin D supplementation. Findings of a study presented at a 2016 scientific conference suggested that vitamin D insufficiency is associated with increased risk for developing acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS. ARDS is a severe form of lung injury characterized by rapid breathing, shortness of breath, and a low blood oxygen level and can lead to respiratory failure and death. It commonly occurs with viral illnesses, including influenza and COVID-19. So where does COVID-19 attack? The respiratory tract. Here are a few findings from recent studies related specifically to vitamin D levels in COVID-19. In the Philippines, every standard deviation increase in serum vitamin D was associated with an eight times more likely chance to have a mild rather than severe COVID-19 outcome and a 20 times more likely chance to have a milder rather than critical outcome. In Indonesia, 98.9% of patients with vitamin D deficiency, levels under 20 nanograms per milliliter, died. 88% of patients with vitamin D insufficiency, levels between 20 and 30 nanograms per milliliter, died. But only 4% of patients with sufficient vitamin D levels died. Through several mechanisms, vitamin D can reduce risk of infections. Those mechanisms include lower viral replication rates and reduced concentrations of pro-inflammatory cytokines that produce the inflammation that injures the lining of the lungs, leading to pneumonia or ARDS. Please understand, I am not saying that vitamin D is going to prevent you from getting COVID-19, nor is vitamin D a treatment for COVID-19. But without a doubt, low vitamin D levels do correlate strongly to severity of disease. Correlation does not mean causation. We need more time and repeated studies specifically related to vitamin D and COVID-19. But what we are seeing so far is nothing short of astonishing. So now what? The best way to know your vitamin D level? Go get a blood test. Meta-analysis of studies ranging from the years 1966 through 2013 have shown that people with vitamin D serum levels between 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter have the lowest all-cause mortality, meaning they die less of all non-accidental diseases. So you got to start out by knowing where you're at. Based on my review of the literature and recommendations made in the functional medicine space, the sweet spot appears to be a level between 40 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. In other words, you want your vitamin D level anywhere in the range of 40 to 70 for the body to reap the many benefits vitamin D has to offer. While anything over 30 is considered normal, it's best to aim for between 40 and 70. What dose should I take is the next logical question. The upper tolerable intake level set by the Institute of Medicine is 4,000 international units, or IU. The exact number is debatable and varies depending on your source. If your level is under 30, I suggest 5,000 IU per day and recheck your level in about four to six months. Once you reach a level between 40 and 70, you must continue taking vitamin D. However, cutting back to 5,000 IU a few days per week or perhaps taking 2,000 IU daily is ideal so that you can keep that level in the optimal range. Everyone will need to work to find out what dose of vitamin D helps them maintain their level within that sweet spot. My most recent vitamin D level was 63. I now take 5,000 IU three days per week. I also check my level about every six months to assure it is hovering in that 40 to 70 range. A quick side note, I did decide to go ahead and check both of my boys. I have a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old. My 19-year-old was somewhere in the 60s, 
but my 15-year-old was low. He was about 30, and I was very surprised to find that. I don't know why, but I was. So now he is taking 5,000 IU per day, and we are going to check him in about another month or so. Vitamin D is a hormone, and it does not rise overnight. In fact, it can take months of daily vitamin D supplementation for a vitamin D blood level to rise. If you are of a darker skin tone, obese, elderly, or have predisposing gut issues, which also include any sort of stomach-related surgery, these factors can interfere with how you absorb nutrients. In such cases, it will likely take longer for a vitamin D level to rise. For these individuals, I would definitely recommend having a level done every four to six months until you reach somewhere between 40 and 70. Your primary provider should absolutely be including a vitamin D level as part of your yearly lab panel. Unfortunately, I don't see this happening as much as you might think. You need to advocate for this if your provider is not checking your vitamin D level. You will also have to ask that it be rechecked every four to six months while working to get that level up if you do happen to come back low. He or she may not feel this is necessary, but it is. If they are giving you a hard time, have it done at an outside lab, such as with us at MWLW, or at a lab facility such as any lab test now, where your provider's order is not required. I can't stress enough that providers do not know everything. At the end of the day, you must advocate for yourself based on what you know. If your provider does not agree with your logic, maybe you need to consider another provider. You must be responsible for you, and you must be your own advocate. Is it possible to take too much vitamin D? Yeah, it actually is, but it's not common. Data compiled from several different vitamin D supplementation studies reveal that vitamin D toxicity is obtained at doses higher than 10,000 IU per day. Toxic doses of vitamin D can result in exceedingly high serum levels of calcium, known as hypercalcemia. If you were ever to have a vitamin D level that comes back higher than 70, simply reduce the dose and recheck it in four to six months. Lastly, I will mention it is a good idea to take a vitamin K supplement when taking vitamin D, but you really only need to do so about once or twice per week. Let me explain what vitamin K does. When you take vitamin D, you absorb calcium better, close to 40% better. However, calcium can easily form a precipitate, a deposit, or a residue. This can be a problem if this precipitate or deposit forms in a vessel of the heart or kidneys. Vitamin K activates a protein to protect calcium from accumulating in soft tissue, such as the vessel lining of our heart and kidneys. There are different forms of vitamin K. K1 is found in green leafy vegetables, and K2 is less commonly found in Western diets. I'm not going to go deep into vitamin K, but I have included a vitamin K product that I use in the show notes. And again, you only need to take this once or twice per week, and I do recommend you speak to your provider about vitamin K if you are in any sort of blood thinner. Is your head spinning from all of this information yet? I really, really hope you are able to take away from this episode just how impactful vitamin D is to your overall health and well-being. And it's so darn easy. Remember, you do have to be persistent and consistent with taking vitamin D. I have included in my show notes the many references used throughout this episode if you want to learn more. In the meantime, get your levels checked and take your vitamin D daily. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and consider giving it a five-star rating. Until next time.